If you're given a chance to be a role model, I think you should always take it because you can influence a person's life in a positive light. Tiger Woods. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to episode 17 of Emetophobia Help. Today, I'm with Haley, who lives not very far from me, um, near Vancouver in Canada. Hi, Haley. Hi. And welcome to the podcast. Um, Haley is from Port Coquitlam, which is here close to Vancouver. Um, especially if you're listening from the UK, it's close to Vancouver. <laughs> Otherwise, it's an hour drive, from, at least from where I am in Richmond. But yeah. yeah, and we have a beautiful spring pouring rain, typical day here on the west coast of Canada. Um, but some people are under snow as we record this. So yeah, I don't know why I've started with the weather lately. It's showing my age. I should I should be more cool and start with something else. Anyway, well, I'm from, um, sorry, I'm ahead. I'm from Saskatchewan, and my parents were just here, and they went back to Regina a couple of days ago to yeah. the snow. So oh, I'm, it's uh, snowing there. <laughs> counting too, my eh? blessings that yeah, right. Wow, wow, <laughs> yeah. My, um, we have relatives in Winnipeg, and it's yeah. like just bad there like midwinter uh, blizzards and and things like that so and also in the united states down through uh north and south dakota are bad and yeah climate change climate change folks right that's what i think it is so tell us about your journey with emetophobia yeah so um i mean i've had it as long as i can remember since being a child um of course, I didn't know what it was. I just had this extreme fear of getting sick, of other people being sick. Um, mm-hmm. So my earliest memory of it was, I have an older brother. He's a, a few years older than me. And so I might have been about four or five. And he was sick at night or at, at some point. Um, and I just remember just being so scared and I went out and hid in the garage in my my mom's van or something like that I was just like totally terrified um both my parents were pretty supportive but I mean you know they did as much as they could as with you know the tools that they had and what they knew but they didn't understand it I do remember though that my mom like she won't maybe admit that she has the phobia but she definitely had you know like didn't really want to, she wasn't really around. It was mostly my dad that wow. helped okay. with my brother. Mm-hmm. I, when I was sick or he was sick when anyone was sick, mm-hmm. it was my dad that was always involved. Um, but after doing some of my own therapy, I have kind of maybe uncovered a little bit about what, like where this kind of started from, or at least why I've kind of developed the fear um, mm-hmm. was because I remember distinctly my brother saying, I'm dying <laughs> when he right. was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think I would have kind of made that connection until I, I actually stumbled upon your podcast um, last year. And I remember listening to your very first episode and you saying, mm. like, kind of making that connection. And I was like, I had this right. epiphany. And then a few years later, my grandma, my dad's mom, 
she she had a ton of health struggles uh, later on in her her years. She passed away, I think, when I was nine, but it was maybe a couple of years before that. She we were at my aunt's apartment and she was sick, and I was so I was about seven years old, and yeah, she was she was quite sick. I remember being very scared. I didn't have anyone like I didn't tell anyone because I was just like, what is wrong with me? Why do I? Why am I so worried? Everyone's helping her. Like there were people helping her. And, mm-hmm. but I just remember being scared. And then, yeah, a couple of years later, she passed away. So sure enough. there was that yeah. kind of connection that was yeah. made. Um, so yes. those are kind of the two like early childhood experiences. Right. That. It I, took and me a while I, to go back. Yeah. I especially, um, I, I don't know how to say this because um, part of me wants to be very scientific researcher the biggest part but so I'll say this is not scientific and it's not really research but a lot of a metaphobics I talk to I in inordinate amount have had something happen when they're nine yeah it, and sometimes they you know they'll one of my clients will try to remember they'll be like maybe I was eight I don't know eight nine something you know and I think to myself it must be such a pivotal age, you know, but someone would need to do a proper research study where you also survey folks without a metaphobia and find out if anything happened to them when they were nine and maybe something happened to everybody when they're nine. I don't know, but, but yeah, I hear it over and over again. I was about nine, around nine. And yeah. And it's it's reassuring to hear that though, that like, because I mean, I never talked about it until, you know, like it's only been recent I only even told my parents about this and I think my it made my dad like feel quite bad or guilty like not that I was trying to but he definitely was like I didn't know that I didn't know that that was such like a scary experience for you and I was like it's it's okay I mean I feel like you know all of this has kind of come full circle now because I have my own two children that are my Mm. son just turned one and my daughter just turned four and so the other part of my journey that has kind of led me to where I am now is, um, again, with your first podcast about your daughter getting car sick. So this mm. was last fall. Um, my daughter was with my husband. I wasn't in the car. I was at home. But I had this sort of like gut feeling that something wasn't right. Like she wasn't quite feeling well. They went out for a car ride. It was a, like a quite rainy, windy day. and they were driving back home and yeah, she kept saying like her stomach hurt and she didn't feel well. And then, yeah. So sure enough, like right before they got home, she had gotten sick in the car and I could see out the window, my husband like coming fast down the street. And I was just like, no, something's not right. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? he, He came inside first and, you know, had told me she'd been sick in the car and I was just like, I knew it. And so I was kind of having like a little bit of a panic attack, but I I honestly feel like it, it needed to happen because it's been like a sequence of events since that point in time that I was like, Mm -hmm. I need to conquer this phobia. Mm -hmm. And same Mm -hmm. thing too, you had mentioned another podcast about not even knowing that like a term existed, that emetophobia existed. Like I just remember feeling all through, yeah, like since that childhood experience through my teenage years um, in university and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but just like thinking there's something wrong with me. There's something weird about me that like, why, mm-hmm. you know, like I started to have all of like the, you know, anxiety, the safety behaviors, the avoidance behaviors, you know, right. not eating certain things, not, yeah, just being really like worried about it. And it just, it created right. so much more anxiety in my life. And 
Um, and so I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. Mm. Uh, that's what my I did. I studied in university. And yeah, so being at home with my kids, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. But like, how am I going mm-hmm. to deal with this if they mm-hmm. get sick? I mean, kids get sick, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and but also, well, what am I going to do with like career wise? And so yeah, listening to your podcast, hearing that, you know, this was life changing for you. I was like, it was literally like an aha moment. Like the sky opened up, everything was like, this is oh, that's what you good. are meant to do. And so I like, I, you know, feel very inspired by you. And oh, thank um, you. I got accepted into a master's program. I'm doing my master's mm-hmm. in counseling psychology. And yeah, this, I mean, I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> Great. Because someday I might like to retire. I am 63 yes. years old. Sure. <laughs> and someday I will die as yeah. well. Yeah. Prob- long before you, I can tell yeah <laughs> you know um so uh all be all things being well for sure what a what a great story that you have though w- would you say that you were more afraid of yourself vomiting or s- seeing one of your kids or having to look after your kids it's a little it's it's like half and half because mm. i i think at the end of the day i would rather personally be sick than someone mm-hmm. else be sick because then i feel like like I can control the situation or I can, you know, like make sure that other people then don't get sick. Like if I were to, you know, get a stomach, but I know that it generally is going to be, my kids are going to get sick and I'm going to end up getting sick by caring for them. It could be. Yeah. The thing that's interesting. So my daughter has actually been sick a couple of times. I don't necessarily know that she's had like a stomach virus. Like when she was teething, she would kind of gag herself a lot from the teething pain, putting her right. hands in her mouth. And so a, a few times she's been sick, like in her, was sick in her crib as like a toddler baby. Mm-hmm. And once she has been sick, once she has vomited, it doesn't bother me anymore to clean it up. Although I do right. have like a little bit of the, the rig- residual panic, like, is she going to be sick again? But uh-huh. typically like, and actually, so we're going back to the um, car sick story. This was last year. So she was three and a half and she came in and she was, you know, had been crying and stuff. And I was like, you know, it will be okay. We'll all, you know, we'll get you in the bathtub. And, you know, I cleaned her up and stuff. And like, I think she could tell, cause I was like shaking a little bit, like, you know, just were, I was more concerned for yeah. her. Like I wanted to take kind of her like discomfort away mind you she kept telling me she's like mom I'm okay now like I feel better now (laughs) right and so I was like trying to like keep that in my mind somewhere like you know try to like yeah mirror her feelings you know like she's Mm -hmm. feeling okay like try to take on that calm yourself so I, I do think that I handled it pretty well like I didn't you know but I did kind of ask her like you know do you how is your stomach now? Like, do you feel okay now? Do you think you're going to be sick again? And, you know, she's probably looking at me like I'm crazy. My husband, I mean, he's been supportive. Like he knows that I have this Uh phobia and stuff. Um, But yeah, I mean, going back even a couple years ago when she would say like, oh yeah, my tummy hurts. I would panic. I'd call my mother-in-law and be like, code red, you need to come now. Code red. (laughs) And she hadn't even been sick. She was just saying that she didn't feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still like, I've worked my way up the, you know, hierarchy and stuff. Like, I mean, even yeah, years and years ago, I couldn't even say the words vomit and all the kinds of words. Um, Mm -hmm. So many things. So I, I do think I have come a long way. I mean, I still have a little ways to go but Mm -hmm. 
I think it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm getting there. I'm on the road. So <laughs> that that's good. That's great. I was just, um, my mind drifted for two seconds there when you said code red, because I used to volunteer in the hospital for about five years as a chaplain. And we had all the codes on the back of our, um, ID that was that was around our neck and I was like oh right code red is a fire that's a fire (laughs) and it's so interesting because I think a lot of things that I've read um from you know talking about panic attacks and mainly with kids but is that it's as though someone's pulled a fire alarm but there isn't a fire right you know, but while the alarm's ringing, we believe it's a fire. Exactly. So then the alarm is, you know, our heart rate increasing and um, adrenaline and what you would normally call freaking out, just basically yeah. freaking out. That's the alarm going. And it takes a while to come to realize or to come to learn. It's not that you don't realize it, but to, for your brain to really learn that there is no fire. Right. There, exactly. there is nothing dangerous about vomiting. It can't hurt you. Um, That's right. Someone else vomiting is even less dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> really, you know, it's right. like, but unless you are unconscious, you can't die from vomiting, you know. Right. But um, it's it's funny, your story about, about when your um, brother was sick and, and saying he was dying. My little grandchildren got... Um, a norovirus a few weeks ago only. Yeah. Um, and they live here with us and, and they are eight and six. And the six-year-old had not really a memory of vomiting. Like, and she certainly never had had a virus before. They'd never ever had it before. So while she's throwing up, she's she's quite dramatic child. Mm. She's very dramatic. She is screaming and her mom's with her, my daughter, and she's screaming and she's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You know, I can't breathe. And and her mom is like, Ayla, you are breathing. Mommy can hear you breathing. You're breathing. And at one point she goes, I don't want to die. And I was, I was in my bedroom and heard this and you'd think it would break my heart like how it just did with you there but I actually laughed I know I laughed I'm like oh come on yeah I'm not gonna die you know but I think her mom said to her you're not dying you know it's not very nice anyway the next day at breakfast I thought well I don't think I've ever been told these children what I do for a living and so they just know I see clients you know online and and hang a sign on the door and don't let them stream video while I'm doing it. So um, anyway, so I tell them, you know, I try to explain to a six and eight year old what I do. Now the eight year old, he's thrown, he's thrown up a lot of times and he does, he's fine with it. He doesn't really care. And so um, I said, you know, some people, they get afraid of it and they think about it every day, all the time. And it ruins their life. It ruins everything in their life. And he says, uh, he goes, well, I'm not afraid. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that, Kriba. And then little Ayla, she goes, well, I'm not afraid of it. This is the next morning. This is morning. the next day. The next Amazing. morning. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was, and then she's never mentioned it since. And yet some kids would be every day to their mom, like, am I going to throw up again? Yeah. Is it going to happen again? Like, and they just become so 
instantly phobic almost. I don't yeah. know what it is. Right. I don't yeah, know see, why. Even with me, like, I don't remember. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I had been sick at whatever ages throughout childhood, like nothing extreme, but I mean, I, you know, what, like, I actually, I do remember one of the first times and it might've been like, not necessarily food poisoning, but I had drank a lot of chocolate milk, jumped on a bed, was really sick in the bathroom. Oh, and I might've been like yeah, five or six years old. <laughs> okay, and I remember yeah. that being like horrible, right. um, you know, feeling, feeling horrible about it. I all like, I'm a highly sensitive person, empath, all these things that I know yeah, about myself. Yeah. And so also, I think that that has something to do with like worrying about other people being sick is like, I can okay, sort of feel right. the pain, I can feel the discomfort. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I worry about with my daughter. Now, my son, like, he's just a totally different personality. I mean, he hasn't been sick yet. He's one year old. Um, right. For some reason with him, he just seems so much more easygoing. My daughter is very much like me. Like, she's very highly sensitive, uh, already right. kind of showing some anxious behaviors. I don't know necessarily yeah. that she has, like, yeah. the, I don't want her to develop the phobia. Like, that's, you know, I'm, like, trying all these things because I'm, like, not that I can really control that. I mean, I can do right. it. I can help her to a certain extent, but yeah, it's kind best, of a strange... The best thing you can do is to just be calm yourself. Yes, exactly. Like, I think that might be part of the difference that some of our parents, like, I think there might be some parents who would become fairly anxious. Like, I'm just thinking of my daughter. She was so yeah. calm, but then my daughter knows everything about what I do. She's been through the phobia with me. She's seen me get over it and better. She's, she reads chapters of my book to copy edit, like, you know, so she's in the know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and she's just like, you're not dying. Nobody likes it. It feels awful, but you're all right. You know, and um, we can say those words and freak out inside. Right. And that is different than her, who would be not freaking out inside either, because children can sense Sense. our anxiety. And it's not your fault. If I mean, I was a basket case when my kids were sick. So, you know, uh, they turned out okay. They didn't get phobia. I really don't know what, nobody knows what actually causes it. We have all kinds of ideas, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you've got some stories like this, like your brother saying yes. he's dying and um, no one your grandma at breakfast didn't say now about last night yes. you know? <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing no one talked about it afterwards yeah and yeah. then like I said now like looking back Maybe. on my childhood and stuff my like my mom like who we I have had these conversations with her and she was never really present when we were sick like and she was a stay-at-home mom so I'm like how did you <laughs> not managed to be around but I mean I guess it happened at night when my dad was home Mm -hmm. or whatever like he was always there but she wasn't and I do think that that has maybe not to blame her but in some way has had an impact like like you said we're you know so so sensitive I was so sensitive and it's like well where was my mom my number one caregiver wasn't there Mm -hmm. when we were sick oh yeah and then even as an adult she's always and again not to blame her I hope if she listens to this one day she yeah I love my mom she's has been super supportive and my dad um but you know she still doesn't necessarily like acknowledge well yeah nobody likes to get sick but you know and I'm like yeah Yeah. but I think you still need to understand that for me like I wish I didn't have this. And I mean, even when I yes. talk to my husband or my mother-in-law, I see how they're just like cool as a cucumber about, oh, yeah, oh, if you're 
kids are going to be sick. It's okay. We'll be here. And I'm like, I see them. And I'm like, how can I be that? <laughs> I want to be that. Right. So I've been practicing yes. that mindfulness. Good. Like, I yeah. can, whatever. So, and I always say to myself, yeah. like, even when we go for car rides now, because that's a bit of a trigger. And my daughter, I'm like, mm-hmm. are you going to get car sick again? I'm like, but so what if she does? Right. So what? Big deal. Yeah. Big deal. You get yeah. sick, you know? And I, yeah. I think the more I tell myself that, the easier it hopefully will be. Like, and I always say, I'm like, well, in this situation, what will I do? Like, I'll take care of her. I'll clean her up. Whatever. If I get yeah. sick, whatever. Big deal. Take a, put a trash can in the, I used to put a trash can in the back seat between the two car seats there for their yeah. trash, you know, but it's also <laughs> something to throw up in if you, you know, and that's exactly. a big part of it. I think if you can kind of contain it, like uh, now we have these really cool Amasis bags that um, I got, I got, I ordered one from Amazon so that I could use it kind of as a prop Prop. for exposure to show people. And I realized that one meant one case. So (laughs) (laughs) I I got 12. Yeah. And then when the kids had this norovirus, my daughter's like, these things are awesome. And she ordered another another box of them because you know she kept so she keeps some in the car and but she could just put them beside them in bed and I mean they're also old six and eight so they're old enough they knew enough to you know a one-year-old doesn't know enough to throw up in it but whatever Yeah. yeah exactly you know what you say about your mother I just want to um just flesh that out a bit in case your mother's listening or lots of mothers are going to be are listening to this exactly. I know there is a difference between parents being responsible for something that happens to a child and being to blame so they are not to blame even if they might be responsible or another way of putting it is they like your mother was a contributing factor to your phobia but not all of it. I mean, at least half the reason you have it is because you are genetically predisposed to having anxiety. And so what form it took was kind of a crapshoot, you know, in childhood. And maybe you got afraid of dogs, you know, in which case there are so many dogs available to help us get a child over that, that you can get over it in childhood and you never think of it again. And then you go out and get a German Shepherd. You know, like, yeah. it's just like, it, it, you get a puppy. Yeah. But if it happens to be vomiting, you probably haven't told anyone. And then years go by mm-hmm. before there's ever a vomiting incident again. And so it's really not a good one to gain in the craps. I've never shot craps. I don't yep. gamble. I don't even gamble because I... I went to a casino once and I'm like, I hate this. Yeah. I'm just I'm throwing, my, throwing my money away. But uh, I can certainly, you know, lots of people have fun and, and other people are addicted to it, unfortunately. But anyways, it, it's a roll of the dice. But, you yes. know, are you going to get this? Are you going to get something else? So, yeah, um, no, we don't we don't blame people's families, but we we can look at those factors and say these these contributed. Yep. And, yeah, I, and I think just it, acknowledging it, like, and knowing that, like, these yeah. Yeah, may have been involved in some way, like, allows me to move past it and not, like, be able to actually work through it and, and you know, not hold a grudge or not feel, like, ashamed right. about it or anything. And, and not, yeah, like, have that tension of, like, well, I didn't have that 
support or whatever I needed. Like, like I said, I love my mom. I love my dad. They've, you know, they did. And I like, they were just here the last couple of weeks for the kids' birthdays and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think I needed to like have that conversation with them and let them mm-hmm. know, like, it's all good, you know, and yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. where I am right now without having these experiences. So right. I can yeah. then hopefully yeah. use no that kidding. to help other people, you know. There was just a thread on, I don't know if you're part of the my Facebook group, yes, the Emetophobia yeah. No Panic. Did you see that thread somebody started about how they're thankful that they had the phobia yes, and, I did. and, and then other people, and then they were kind of calling for other people to contribute like their stories of what do you like, in what way do you appreciate it? Or right. do you have any gratitude for having the phobia? And that I was like, oh, well, that's a that's tough one, but yeah. you know, I think, yeah, I, I was probably put on this earth to do what I'm doing now. And, right. um, I'm knee deep in this book for therapists because May 31st is our deadline to the publisher. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about that. I'm thinking about it a lot that, yeah. yeah, Like like if I I had to get my hands on that book. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. Um, And if you go into counseling psychology, then absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, so I made a couple of, of notes when you were talking to, um, to ask you about one of the things. um, Oh, I know the last thing I want to say about mothers is I found that almost without exception for some reason and through no fault of their own emetophobics, mothers were not emotionally available to them when they were sick. And at some point, and it might even be before they have, verbal memory so something could have happened to somebody when they were two or you know whatever and by not emotionally available I mean something as simple as mom went back to work you know that's a no no fault of mom um or I had this one lovely family stay-at-home mom the little girl had a metaphobia she was eight and I I would questioned and questioned and questioned the mom and the daughter. And I thought, I have no idea where this kid gets this phobia from. So there goes my theory, because this mother was lovely. Come to find out the first time the little girl had a norovirus, her mother was in the hospital giving birth to her brother. And Hmm. she was with grandma, you know, who she loved and grandma was nice and, and whatever. But there you go. I mean, That's nobody's fault. And she exactly. would be a hundred percent unavailable. Like <laughs> you yeah, can't you're, exactly. not, you're not even you're not even gonna FaceTime with a child when you're in labor <laughs> or delivering a baby. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. interesting. So it comes up. Yeah. no no blame to mothers, uh, but there is no. something about being emotionally available. So when we think about, you know, raising our own kids, that's um, yes. or fathers, you know, I, I talk about mothers because that's usually the primary attachment figure, but a father can replace the mother as a as an attachment figure. And so if daddy is emotionally available when kids, I think that's why my kids are okay. Cause my husband yes. was great when they were sick. He was great t- to them for them. A hundred percent. He even wanted to be there for them. You know, he, yeah. he, he liked that idea kind of thing. So yeah. It's okay. Well, that's right. 
sorry to cut you off, but no, um, no, my no. therapist that I work with, and again, hopefully if my dad, I'm sure my dad will listen to this at some point and I, I've had this discussion with him. So hopefully he's okay with me sharing it, but because he, my dad was, he was the one that took care of us when we were sick and he was up with mm-hmm. us and very involved right there would get us water, whatever. But I, so I talked to my therapist about this. I said, well, yeah, okay. So my mom wasn't physically there, but my dad was. So what, like, you know, where is this coming from? And then we kind of dug a little deeper and he would say this when we were getting sick. He said, you're getting rid of the poison when we'd be throwing okay. up. And okay. so my, my therapist had kind of said, you know, it's like poison, it's not good, you know, like, yeah, that's dangerous, being right? poisoned, all these kind of things. So code red, code red. Is a bad, yeah. yeah, it's sort of, again, <laughs> a negative sort of association. And so right, I, again, yeah. like, I've sort of let that go. I mean, whether like, it yeah. was just something for me. He to was trying to, peace. he yeah, was trying, was yeah. he didn't know, of, he wasn't trying to no. make, he was trying to help. No, yeah, um, of course, of course. But yeah, he was just, trying to reassure you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, comfort you. But it's a kind of, I'm such sounding so sexist in this podcast. I don't know, but I was going to say it's kind of more of a man thing. Yes, you're getting rid of the poison, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, I, most women, I don't think would think that way. But right. Well, <laughs> it's and it's like, interesting too. Another funny story about my when my husband and I got married, we got married and the next day we took off on our honeymoon to San Diego. And so, you know, it's obviously had some drinks, partying, like at our wedding and the next morning get on this flight. And we had eaten at the at a restaurant in the airport before we left. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting on the plane and my husband's like, yeah, I'm not feeling very good. And I'm just like, what oh, is yeah. happening? So, yeah, he was sick on the plane, basically like the whole flight down to San Diego. And I'm oh, like, this gosh. is married life. But it was, again, sort of this like you know I, I feel like I same thing as you put on this earth to maybe to to deal with this phobia and yes, to help other people yeah. and I had this experience where right. like yeah now you have another person in your life you're getting married you, you know for better or for worse through sickness and health and I'm like yep smack me in the face here we go yeah like, saddle yeah. for the ride and luckily yeah. he was fine once we landed and got you know like he was okay but my nerves were shot on the airplane I was just the whole I mean I don't like really getting on airplanes anyway being in the close yeah other people might be sick that kind of thing but anyway I mean I've had this experience that are like wake up like you need to deal with this and that's kind of how how I'm trying to approach it (laughs) these stories are good to collect for I mean one thing you'll learn in how to be a therapist school is not to talk about yourself and don't share any of your story Um, but uh, my journey into uh, psychotherapy was through the ministry Uh, I'm a United Church minister and it's the opposite your congregation knows everything about you they know your husband your children they're all there they know where you live they come to your house they you know you yeah uh, yes and so we have to have boundaries in a way that is not as simple as just don't talk about yourself you know I mean to to be honest it's it's much easier to just not talk about yourself. That's right. <laughs> Set a boundary. But when, when, yeah, people in a congregation want to be your friend and then you realize it, well, yeah, but you're not my friend, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not, right. we're friends, but friendly. we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We're friendly. We're friendly. <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with them now. <laughs> not that sure, they're listening, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> um, you were saying a little while back about w- that you were determined to conquer this phobia. So can you just talk for a little bit about the therapy you've gone through and w- what's what's it been like and what's helped you? Yeah, so um, 
again, when I started to kind of research the phobia, even 10 years ago, like I'm 33 now. So I, I mean, I finished my undergrad at just, I don't know, 21 years old. So I remember finishing now I'm, you know, kind of starting my young adult life. And I still had this phobia, but I was a little bit, you know, like I had, I had gone through my count or my psychology program. So I had some, you know, tools to do research. So yeah, this isn't very long ago, I go on the internet and fear of vomiting and emetophobia comes up. I think that might have been the first time I had seen the word and heard about it. Um, but nothing really existed. Like, so that except they would say exposure therapy. And I was like, okay, so what's exposure therapy for emetophobia? Well, you just right. have to like make yourself vomit, which I had heard Who on your podcast. That? Oh, I don't yeah. somewhere. Yeah. No. And I'm just no. like, no. And I just remember immediately being like, nope, not for me. Right. <laughs> down. Like, yes. this is, I'm, no, I was like, okay, well, I'm doomed. I'm stuck with this phobia for life. Oh. And I just sort of, oh. you know, moved on and kept doing my avoidance behaviors. Safe. I, rem- I had like an addiction to gum. Oh, <laughs> my yes. mom would, yeah. she's probably laughing if she is listening to this. Like I would have to have peppermint gum, Pepto-Bismol, like right. I couldn't go anywhere without all of these you know, things in my purse. Um, I wouldn't go into like public bathrooms, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so then and I couldn't even say the words like I couldn't see anything associated with vomiting, mm. puke, throw up like anything, it yeah, would just make yeah, me yeah. Um, right. But then yeah, what I think maybe even a, a couple of years ago, looking again, I was surprised to see some more. Actually, once I had kids, it was maybe the first time my mm-hmm. daughter was sick at like two years old, I remember. So this is only a couple of years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. looking on the internet like there's got to be something more now and so Mm -hmm. I think that might have been actually maybe I had looked on Amazon to see if there's any like books like is there something that Mm -hmm. I can follow on how to get over Mm -hmm. this and I think you had maybe written a comment or like a review on Ken Goodman's book and so I like I have that book I've gone through it now and I I think that might have been how I found your name and then found your Uh. podcast and I just really started to work through the levels of exposure okay. on your website and I was just like oh good okay it was literally yeah it's been life-changing for sure because like I said I'm not That's I wouldn't good. say I'm like completely cured I, I think that I'm probably yeah. always going to have a little bit of a maybe trigger but like knowing being aware of it mm-hmm. and sort of you know like I'm yeah I'm probably at like the highest level right now where like again if like someone were to throw up in front of me I probably would be like oh my gosh but I think yeah. also in the moment I'd be like no like you just got to do what you got to do to help this person right. move on yeah. you know and just like yes. it's okay it's not forever yeah. they're not gonna die and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah and and if you catch it you won't die either and exactly. nothing and um yeah the whole thing about vomiting just not being dangerous but the part of our brain that believes it is dangerous is more powerful, powerful. than the part of our brain that knows it's not dangerous yeah. you know it's because the, that it's responsible for our survival. So it got triggered, you know, maybe back with your, your brother saying yeah. he was dying, then your grandmother dying. And I had kind of the same thing. It's like, Similar I'm pretty experience. sure people said my brother was sick in the hospital, right. but he wasn't yeah. sick. He'd been That's in an right. accident and he died, you know, and then my dad died. So, yes. uh, yeah. and he, my dad was vomiting. He had uh, colon cancer. So he's right. vomiting. Then he died, you know, and not everybody has these stories, but like maybe just your mom was in the hospital, you know, having another baby. Having like it goes all the way from that to I'm sure there are people who have gone through extreme trauma extreme trauma um who are listening who can't even afford therapy yes um you know and and they've gone through all manner of trauma 
um, That's right. and and ended up with a metaphobia among other things. So, well, Haley, I could sit here and talk to you for another like hour. Um, (laughs) You've been, you've been great. I still have things written down that I could ask you about, but um, maybe uh, as you progress in your work, we'll have you on again and you can talk a little bit more. That would be really great. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm sure your, your story is really going to inspire a lot of people. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a dream. And thank you also to everyone who's listening and subscribing. There are some costs associated with the podcast. So if you're finding it helpful, you can buy me a coffee. Um, Just scroll down to the bottom of the notes on this episode. You'll see um, a link right there. You can buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks or a couple of pounds. If you need more information or resources, if you're a therapist, um, you can go to my website where everything is free and you don't need to sign up with your email or anything. My website is emetophobiahelp.org. And I'll see you next week.